Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, a startling 64% of Democratic voters say they prefer someone other than Joe Biden as their nominee for president in 2024. That's from a New York Times and Siena College poll out this week. Analysts say frustration over a sense that Biden's presidency isn't meeting the moment in America is fueling both the poll's findings and his low approval ratings. Others say he's done what he can after being dealt an impossible hand. What do you think? We'll hear your thought. I'm Mina Kim. Welcome to Forum. President Biden has repeatedly stated his intention to run in 2024. Yes, my plan is to run for re-election. That's my expectation. But this week, a New York Times and Siena College poll found that 64 percent of Democratic voters would prefer someone else as their nominee. Voters cited concerns about Biden's age and handling of issues like inflation, the overturning of Roe and gun control. And it doesn't help that Biden's approval rating is below 40 percent. What do you think? Should Biden run again in 2024? If not, who do you think should be the candidate? You can email forum at kqed.org. Post your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or at KQED Forum, or give us a call at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Joining us today, Marisa Lagos, KQED politics correspondent and co-host of KQED's Political Breakdown podcast. Hey, Marisa. Hey, Mina. Tamara Keith is also with us, White House correspondent for NPR and the host of NPR's Politics podcast. Tamara, so glad to have you on. Good to be with you. We've all got a podcast. <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> I don't have a podcast. Well, I guess forum, kind of. But and anyway. please do listen to the forum podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thanks. Thank you. And I, I totally would have to endorse listening to KQE's Political Breakdown at NPR's Politics Podcast. Um, so that's all good stuff. Tam, let's talk about the bad stuff. <laughs> like, just how bad is that poll result for a president? Nearly two-thirds from your own party not wanting you to run in 2024? 
Well, so here's the thing with uh, President Biden. In March of 2020, essentially when he locked up the nomination, he stood up and gave a speech. And in that speech, there was a quote, there was a line where he said that he he saw himself as a bridge to the next generation of Democratic Mm. leaders. And, you know, that next generation, some members of it at least, had just dropped out of the primary and were basically standing behind him, um, consolidating, deciding that, you know, Joe Biden was the person who could beat Donald Trump. And in fact, he did. Um, And but because he talked about himself as a bridge, because he's the oldest president to ever serve, um, there is there was a widespread view that he was sort of a a transition figure um, to that next generation. And this is highly unusual for a, a president this early in their term to have so many people in their own party saying that they want someone else to run. But, you know, if you look at their concerns with him, it's not really based on policy. Uh, A a large, not an overwhelming share, but like a not insignificant share of the people who responded to an open-ended question said that age was a consideration. Hmm. So Marisa, age, Tam is also mentioning how this sort of expectation that he'd be transitional could be feeding into that result. I guess we should also note it's easy to say you'd prefer someone else when there isn't someone else to compare uh, yeah. Too? And I mean, that's what Biden really honed in on this week, mm-hmm. saying, look, folks said, though, that they would vote for me. And I think it's true. If you look at the sort of head to head of the election war today, he's three points ahead of Donald Trump. Um, but, you know, I think I think all of this and I know we're about to talk about polls for an hour, so I don't mean to like deflate everybody. But like, you know, we always have to take this stuff with a grain of salt. A poll is a snapshot in time if it's accurate in that time even. Right. And we are many months and years away from the actual 24 presidential campaign. I think the bigger question here is sort of how or can Biden rehabilitate some of these numbers? Can he excite folks? I think to Tam's point, he was a consensus candidate. And that means he doesn't have that like excited base that Donald Trump has always had, or quite frankly, some of the other Democrats might have had. They just couldn't put together, cobble together the coalition he could, right? Um, And so I do think that for Biden in this moment, um, it seems like maybe one thing is that the White House should just take this seriously because they seem to often sort of poo-poo this stuff. And then I think obviously this, you know, raises other questions for his vice president and and her future and whether there's a way for them to kind of... um, you know, rehabilitate both of them at the same time, so to speak, because I don't think Kamala mm. Harris is doing as well as anybody thought she would either. Yeah. What is driving this, Tam? You alluded to what's behind some of these low numbers. What are the issues that you feel like are really driving some dissatisfaction with Biden right now? Well, as my very wise colleague Mara Liason likes to say, um, you know, Republicans fall in line. Democrats want to fall in love. Um, and and as Marisa was saying, they they didn't really fall in love with Joe Biden. Uh, he had an important job, and that was to be the guy who could defeat Donald Trump. Um, and and he did that. Um, you know, the the question that I am sort of coming back to is, yeah, Joe Biden it has a popularity problem. Um, his job approval rating is quite low. In fact, this poll, uh, the the Siena New York Times poll, indicates that there's a little bit of a disconnect um, where uh, his his job approval is not great, but yet 
it, his his um, you know personal approval is still a little bit higher than his job approval, and that um, at least Democratic voters like him. Um, but there are a lot of issues, and we could go through it. You know, if, if you look at how does the public feel, does the does the American public feel that the country is moving in the right direction or the wrong direction? Some of these things are things that that the president could have some bearing on, like, you know, are people dissatisfied with the response to the COVID pandemic, for instance. But a lot of this, the president doesn't have a lot of control over, like inflation. Mm. It's a problem. It is a very big problem that people are very upset about. And you don't have to tell, I shouldn't have to tell you because gas prices are much higher where you sit than where I sit. Not to mention grocery prices. Jeez. Right. Killing all of us parents. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. Uh, so, uh, you know, prices are up. The, the the paychecks are going not as far as they used to. All of these things are um, a real challenge and, and making people feel like the country is going in the wrong direction. And then you also have um, Democrats who are extremely upset about the Supreme Court's abortion decision. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden has no bearing on that. Um, but it does feed into that dissatisfaction that is widespread. And Mina, like... Let's just be honest. This is a rough moment, period. Right. And I think that people are unhappy. This pandemic won't end. We're a very divided nation. Prices are soaring. There's a lot of uncertainty about what's around the corner. And I think we have a tendency to blame the party in power when that happens and the president specifically. I mean, if there is a silver lining for Democrats, I think it's the fact that people don't seem as angry as at Congress as they do at the uh, president, which is kind of unusual in some ways, right? Like, usually you almost see the opposite. Um, Congress, as sort of a body, is easier to hate because it's this, like, I think sort of unformed thing. Often people like their personal congressman or man or woman more than they like, you know, the the body itself. Um, And Democrats do in this poll have some advantage on that. But I almost. But why is that a silver lining? Meaning that it. Well, because we're going into midterms. Right. Mm -hmm. Less of a drag in competitive races. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Like, yeah, the conventional wisdom is and and usual political physics is that if a president is unpopular going into the midterms, then their party is going to take a bath or a drubbing or a thumping or pick your pick your description in the midterm election right now. And, you know, Let's see how it goes and let's see how much it matters. (laughs) But there is a separation. Uh, There is a disconnect between the president's popularity and what's known as the generic ballot. Uh, The share of voters who say that they will vote for Democrats in the midterms versus the share of voters who say they will vote for Republicans. Democrats are not at this moment seemingly being dragged down by the president's popularity challenge, in part because part of his popularity challenge is that uh, he's lost Democrats in a way that that former President Trump did not lose Republicans. Well, VJ writes on Instagram, yes, Biden should run again away from the White House. LP writes on Instagram, the voters chose Biden out of 27 primary candidates and he beat them all. Run a primary again and see what happens. Another listener tweets, 94 percent of Dems under 30 want someone who's not Biden for 2024. That There was a candidate very popular with young voters, but instead of supporting Bernie, the Democratic establishment did everything in their power to install Biden. Now 
they're paying the price. Tamara, that, I mean, 94% of voters under 30. How important a constituency are they for Biden? How worried should he be about that among young voters? Well, so let's start by saying that the sample size, when you start uh, slicing and dicing a single poll down to um, uh, much smaller demographic groups, um, it, it may or may not actually be like a totally great reflection of reality because there just are <laughs> polling challenges and data challenges. Yes. So and there just start... aren't enough young people to elect the president. I mean, that's the point of a consensus candidate, right? Yes. So <laughs> let's start with that. Um, and and yes, Democrats, let's, this isn't just about uh, the current president. Democratic leadership throughout, uh, you know, in Congress and elsewhere they're septuagenarians and octogenarians. They are not the next generation or the generation after that or the generation after that. They're, um, on the NPR Politics podcast today, we will be talking about the first slate of Gen Z candidates who are now running. And Gen X in Congress is still like knocking on the door trying to get <laughs> into leadership. Yeah. Well, I think Marilee appreciates the fact that we are throwing some grain of salt on polls. But Marilee writes, I wish we could not take polls or discuss this already. Sorry. (laughs) Biden said when he was initially running that he would be a bridge president, implying a bridge between generations. We badly needed to cover recover from the most chaotic presidency in our history, which ended with an attempted coup. The minute Biden won the election, he had to say that he would run again or he would have been considered a lame duck by the opposition. Interesting point, right? Uh, That he would have been considered a lame duck. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's I I think why we hear him saying that i mean i mean one other thing though which is just like i do think that there's this interesting kind of divide where you see yes a lot of frustration among you know say younger voters um but i I don't know that we've seen or uh, like can you think of a candidate that could come in and build this coalition right now i mean this is exactly the problem democrats had in 2020 barack obama 2008 like he was a unicorn (laughs) yeah Redux. Um, So I think that's the challenge. We are talking with Marisa Lagos of KQED's Political Breakdown podcast, a politics correspondent for KQED, and Tamara Keith, White House correspondent for NPR and host of NPR's Politics Podcast. And you, our listeners, are weighing in on whether you think Biden should run in 2024. If not, who you think the candidate should be. But also be curious what your thoughts are really on the state and strength of the Democratic Party and if this party is serving you, especially if you are a Democrat. Email forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Give us a call, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what's happening Monday. We're talking with counterterrorism expert Malcolm Nance about his new book, They Want to Kill Americans. And by they, Nance means the expanding alliance of armed right-wing American extremists who are plotting to install a domestic dictatorship. If you have thoughts or questions on this topic ahead of time, feel free to leave a voicemail at 415-553-3300. This hour, we're talking about President Biden, his sagging poll numbers, and whether you think he should run in 2024. Here he is responding to a journalist about this week's New York Times poll. Mr. President, what's your message to Democrats who don't want you to run again? They want me to run. Two-thirds say they don't. Read the polls. Read the polls, Jack. You guys are all the same. That poll showed that 92 percent of Democrats, if I ran, would vote for me. A majority of Democrats say they don't want you to run again in 2024. 92% said if I did, they'd vote for me. We're talking about President Biden's candidacy with Tamara Keith, White House correspondent at NPR, and Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent at KQED, and you, our listeners. Let me go to Shelly in San Francisco. Hi, Shelly. Hi. um, How are you? I'm well. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, so I was just, um, I, well, I am part of the millennial generation. I live in San Francisco. Granted, you know, it's a fairly uh, liberal um, area. But my uh, general thought is that Biden should definitely not run for re-election. Um, the purpose of that uh, statement is just so that um, when he was campaigning, uh, he promised that there was going to be fundamental change. And so far, nothing has fundamentally changed Um Honestly, what can you ask or I ask, like, what has improved? How are people's day to day lives have improved? And if anything, um, it's just stayed stagnant. Nothing has fundamentally changed and people are looking for change and they're so frustrated. Mm. So I don't think that this administration is doing much um, from that perspective. And it doesn't bring the youth to be excited, to want to uh, vote for Biden. Honestly, Mm -hmm. no one of my generation is excited that Biden is, if he runs, um, that we will show up in the numbers that he wants us to. Whoa. Well, Shelley, thanks for sharing what's driving how you are feeling and how you're feeling about Biden. Let me go to another San Franciscan, Jeannie. Hi, Jeannie. What do you think? Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call, and I'm glad to be in with such a bunch of... um, great ladies uh, doing such excellent work telling us what's going on um, in Washington and in San Francisco, Quina. So my sense is I'm Biden's age, and I know that there are physical things that that you have to do to keep up. (laughs) Um, I think people don't don't understand the difficulties of a Congress, the difficulties of what happened, what has happened, and the Republican Party's work that they've done since Reagan, someone who is trying to, as was pointed out, Obama, trying to bridge the gap. That's the way, quote unquote, it's supposed to work. Uh, One of the most damaging things in this past several years is Manchin, Joe Manchin, sitting 
in West Virginia saying, no, no, no. <laughs> so um, the things that Biden has brought back are so tremendous. That's one thing. The next thing is the people that he appointed to his cabinet is so amazing and wonderful. Uh, sure, people don't notice that. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. They only notice inflation and gas prices, etc. And climate change has a lot to do with what's going on. And the world situation has a lot, a lot to do with what's going on, i.e. in your general every day. And people yeah. don't, don't want to hear that. They, it's always it's easy to say, you, you did it. It's your, on your watch, this is what happened. Well, well, well Jeannie, I mean, thanks. The things that went on in, in Trump's, on Trump's watch were so appalling. <sighs> that yeah, I can hear your frustration around that and your point, because another listener also tweets, there are more articles about this, meaning probably the poll, than his accomplishments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad, Tamara, that you cited that there were very few respondents to that poll. Uh, but why aren't his accomplishments breaking through? Jeannie has her thoughts as to why. But but do you think there is also some responsibility on the administration in terms of why they're not breaking through, uh, Tamara, with the American public? Well, I mean, I think one of the challenges that they face is that, in fact, you know, there was this bipartisan infrastructure plan that passed. And, you know, every every couple of weeks they, they do another event where they're like, hey, look at this airport terminal that's going to get repaired or this bridge that's going to be fixed. Um but those sorts of things where they tout their accomplishments, it's a bit difficult for that to break through. Um, the other challenge is that immediately after passing the bipartisan infrastructure plan, um, President Biden started pursuing the Build Back Better plan, which would be even bigger and have more things. And um, and negotiations on that fell apart. And and yes, uh, Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia plays a critical role in that falling apart. And and just this week, the White House was telling me they were optimistic that they would get something that, you know, talks were ongoing with Manchin and and um, Chuck Schumer in the Senate. And Manchin has now announced that he won't support any of the climate provisions. So this thing just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And because they're pursuing more, they aren't really getting credit for what they already did. Um, and there's like a million crises. Yeah. <laughs> Every day there's another crisis. And, you know, the withdrawal from Afghanistan wasn't uh, did not go well. And the uh, coronavirus pandemic, it was a year ago that that uh, President Biden said we are nearing declaring independence from COVID. And instead, it just keeps coming in wave after wave after wave after wave, even though people now say that's just not a top priority for them. So it's it just hasn't stopped. I agree. And I also would say, Mina, that I think there are times when Joe Biden could be a better cheerleader and messenger. I think that you haven't seen him doing the type of traveling that you might have expected um, to sell some of these accomplishments or to talk about them and to be out there. And, you know, I think that there's been some real stumbles. I mean, look at the White House uh, response to abortion, which Mm -hmm. is an issue that is very um, motivating and energizing for Mm -hmm. the base and for young people in particular. Right. We knew this was coming, not just from when the leaked draft came out in May, but back in the fall during the oral arguments. I mean, we were talking about it on this show back then. Right. And so Mm -hmm. the fact that it took 
took this White House two weeks to come out with an executive order on that to really respond forcefully. I think in the way that many Democrats and quite frankly, a lot of independents would have liked to see who support abortion rights, I think, you know, speaks to some of the frustration, especially among younger people about the kind of tone and communication style of this White House. And even within that, you saw some kind of lashing out a weird statement um, from his press secretary kind of saying that, you know, Biden's not about responding to activists. Well, this is the base. Like this isn't, you know, a bunch of Bernie Kratz sniping at his heels, you know, during the 2020 campaign. These are the issues. Um, and, and that did stick out to me. I mean, I want to say in that poll, which is that not overall. I mean, inflation and the economy are certainly still the biggest numbers when you add up the entire electorate. But it did show a lot of concern about gun rights, about Roe v. Wade, and about January 6th and the state of democracy. And those are not issues that would have polled as at the top of the heap, you know, even six months or a year ago, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Well, Susan writes, I can't imagine anyone handling the numerous crises any better than Biden. But it's a matter of branding. I think the administration needs a great PR firm and a process for grooming the next candidate. I hope they look at Jim Hines of Connecticut and Gavin Newsom. Uh, (laughs) Beverly writes, Democrats are smart enough to know we need a new candidate, but who? Republicans are not smart enough to know their candidate should not be Trump. Kent writes, Newsom should be the candidate, not Biden. Let me go to Colin. Hi, Colin. Thanks for calling in. Good morning. Um, I've heard Gavin Newsom's name uh, in speculation uh, as a potential presidential candidate. And I just wonder whether there's been enough looking under the hood. Um, For example, the California legislature, with Newsom's approval, just voted to extend Medi-Cal to all of the undocumented in California. you know, whether or not you think that's uh, the right policy, it's certainly something where the cost of it could be quite unknown, particularly having to provide free health insurance to all the elderly undocumented mm. uh, in the state. I'm not sure that that's something that would be popular with voters in swing states um, or uh, outside very uh, deep blue states. You could also look at the decisions that Newsom's parole board has made in, um, you know, releasing and voting to release a number of murderers. And, uh, you know, I just feel that, um, you know, he's, he's, he's glamorous for sure, but, um, there would be a lot of brutal attack ads from the Republicans if he were the nominee. Yeah. Right. If he even would make it to that point, but, but let's, why don't we game it out a little bit? I mean, first Tamara on the democratic side, there are many prominent party members, including Newsom, I, I think, who yeah. said you know, they won't challenge Biden if he runs again. But if he doesn't, <laughs> um, do you have a sense if there is a front runner that people are coalescing around? There I, I is know not. Natu- yeah. OK, go ahead. <laughs> so um, and, and the last poll I saw on this was probably six months ago or something. Um, And even in that poll, it was like, who do you think should run as the Democratic nominee in the next election? And Joe Biden was at like 25 percent. But, um, you know, Vice President Harris comes in behind that. But there's essentially no Democrat who um, has strong or overwhelming support. There's no prohibitive favorite there. They're just isn't. Um, it's not, you know, it's not Hillary Clinton in 2016. It's it's not um, it's not 2008 when there were 
two obvious Democratic uh, frontrunners. Um, and and part of that is because the current president says he's running for reelection. And so, uh, you know, there, there's a little bit of a failure of imagination. And, and also people just aren't really positioning themselves. But there are uh, several governors, uh, like a Governor Pritzker of Illinois, um, uh, um, uh, the governor of Michigan. Uh, there are several you know, Democratic governors who who would have potential. Uh, and then and then obviously you have some cabinet members like uh, Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo or um, Pete Buttigieg at Transportation. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of Democrats out there. Uh, you look to someone like Amy Klobuchar, who ran last time and is senator from Minnesota, who is still, um, you know, sort of making her presence known. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, the polls do not indicate that there's someone in the wings um, who who could take fire. Marisa, you mentioned Vice President Kamala Harris. Why, while she may emerge as sort of the heir apparent, why, why isn't she, why aren't people necessarily coalescing around her as a strong possibility? How do you think she's handled the vice presidency? Why are her approval numbers where they are? Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to really know how much of the way that she has been perceived and the sort of portfolio of work she's taken on and how high profile she's been or hasn't been like is on her and how much of it is on Biden and the White House and their decision making. Right. Like I don't you know, vice president is a tricky position no matter what you are. Number two and you are serving a a president. Um, But I mean, let's be honest. Prior to this, there's a reason that Harris didn't get the nomination. I mean, I think she stumbled a lot during that campaign. And I think in some ways she is still yet to figure out kind of who she is and who her base is. Like, what is it that she's saying? I think the strongest we've seen her is really in the last few weeks around abortion. Um, And if you think back, that's an issue that she was talking about in the 2020 campaign when really not many of the other candidates were. And so I think there's definitely an opening there for her. Um, I'm nowhere near writing Kamala Harris's obituary yet, political obituary, but I do think that she's going to have to really kind of step up and prove herself um, on a number of levels, right? Because as we all know, running for president, you know, it's important what the electorate thinks and all of that, but it's also important whether you can raise the money, whether you have uh, the kind of confidence of different folks within the establishment who can help you. Um, And I think that, you know, like one interesting crosstab from this poll is that Biden's approval rating is still pretty high among African-American voters, right? And so, or like the right track, wrong track, uh, especially compared to a lot of other uh, demographic groups. And so, you know, that was part of her challenge before, that some of her natural base was not necessarily that excited about her. Um, So I think a lot of this is some, you know, dates back to weaknesses about her and her political strategy um, that I've seen since really she was DA in San Francisco. So a lot of it hasn't been surprising. Um, But again, like you really have to be sort of put together an extraordinary number of things and support. Um, And I don't think we've seen that sort of confidence building among both the base and the kind of Democratic establishment for her. Well, caller Kevin has a thought on Kamala Kevin from Oakland. Harris's hometown. <laughs> Hi, Kevin. Hi, how you doing? So, yeah, I understand why I haven't put her out there more. You know, the American people need to know who she is so that she should go to every state and, and you know, here. And, and, and so 
start understanding people and actually listen to people because that's all people want is for someone to listen to them. Mm. So if they put her out there more, then she be- maybe she will become likable. You know, well, as yeah. they put someone like a running mate, uh, I, that's a hard one because uh, <laughs> Democrats haven't actually put out anyone that is a superstar. You know, because Republicans, they all fall in line. They all have a superstar, even though we might not like them, but all of the Republicans love their superstar. So we haven't gotten to that point yet of a superstar. I will say that. Yeah, go ahead, Tam. I I was just going to say that um, I've traveled a little with the vice president. She is out on the road constantly. She was just in Florida yesterday. She is traveling a ton. But Mm -hmm. here's the thing about a vice president. It's just not news. Right. You know, like when Joe Biden was vice president, um, he did a lot of travel and nobody noticed. And um, I I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a little inside uh, journalism, but I every time I did a story about Mike Pence, the traffic was so terrible and nobody noticed and nobody cared that I was finally <laughs> like, should I even keep doing stories about the vice president? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's just a challenge of being the vice president. Well, well, someone who is working on his name ID is, of course, Gavin Newsom. And I do want to ask you, Marisa, what you thought of his attack ad in Florida against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Oh, my gosh. I got to give his political team credit. I I actually think that was like one of the smartest things I've seen Newsom do politically in a while. Um, And here's why. First of all. It's so cheap compared to California to run ads in Florida. So he dropped like very little money to run an ad that, first of all, just had the benefit of like firing up his base, going after DeSantis, who's his favorite foil right now. But he got national attention for it, right? He got so much earned media out of that. Nobody would have cared if he had run that ad here, even the same exact ad. Um, But because he did it in Florida, because it was sort of felt very out of left field, because it felt like it was an indication of his national kind of aspirations, um, we're all talking about it. And so I think like no matter what you think of Newsom and if you think it's silly that he's down there on the airwaves, um, I, I just feel like his team must be feeling pretty good about that right now. There was literally no downside that I can see. Yeah, I mean, Tim, trolling yeah. trolling is an age-old thing in politics. Or maybe it's just a, mostly a recent thing. Right. right? Uh, and usually the on the other media, side. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In the age of social media, a good troll gets you some good attention. Well, we are talking with Tamara Keith, White House correspondent for NPR, and Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent for KQED, about President Biden. More his candidacy right now, candidacy right now than his presidency after Several polls suggested that Democrats prefer someone else to run in 2024. We'll continue the conversation after the break with you, our listeners. You can join the conversation by posting your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Calling us at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. By emailing your comments and questions to forum. At KQED.org, this listener tweets, Democrats need to build the bench. Biden and Feinstein should move aside and let new leaders step up. Chris writes, as a Latino Democrat, I wish I could see more movement on educational equity and other issues important to Latinos. So I wouldn't rate the administration too highly. But compared to the vitriol against my community from the Republican Party, Democrats get an A+. We'll have more after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Tamara Keith, White House correspondent at NPR, host of NPR's Politics Podcast, and Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent at KQED, co-host of KQED's Political Breakdown. Your listeners are telling us if you want Biden to run in 2024, if not, who you think the candidate should be, what you think Biden's accomplishments have been, where you think he's fallen short, and generally, if you feel like the Democratic Party has been serving you. You can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at KQED Forum. Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Heather writes, Biden said he would serve one term, and that is what we agreed to. I still want Elizabeth Warren for president. Jerry writes, I'm a registered Democrat, and my problem with the Democratic Party is they appear to be too old to put up a fight. Democrats, for some reason, are loath to play the Republicans' game, which is why the Republicans win. There is a distinct lack of fight and vigor in the Democratic Party, and I think it's time for someone younger and scrappier. Sandra writes, who's to say how long a bridge should be? As a lifelong Democrat, now in my 70s, I find it difficult to understand why President Biden is being undermined so early in his presidency. He has dealt responsibility with major world crises, a pandemic, a war in Europe, an attempted coup, a Supreme Court that is causing a divisive split in the country. The financial situation is understandable in light of the worldwide chaos. We should not be dismissing him now. We should be supporting him. Let me go to caller Jan. Hi, Jan, in San Francisco. Oh, thanks for having me on. Uh, Biden should not run. I guess really the biggest reason why is because he just does not have a backbone in him at all. He just does not want to fight. I mean, you look at way back in the day, uh, you know, LBJ, he muscled his way. He used strong arm tactics. He twisted people's arms to get stuff done. And you have right now, you have Joe Manchin, you have Christian Cinema that completely blocked his, uh, you know, biggest uh, bill to build back better i mean essentially it's almost like joe manchin is president so um it's 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 humiliating as a democratic voter it's completely frustrating biden should have been threatening him hey listen if you don't help me with this passing this bill i'm going to end your political career but we don't see that type of um i would say kind of like importance from from biden so for that very big reason, he should not run. And then secondly, I mean, he could have used his executive order pen to pass some really quick things like maybe eliminating student debt, maybe getting rid of, uh, you know, marijuana as a class one uh, illegal drug. I mean, stuff like that. Right. But we're not seeing that. Maybe uh, another stimulus, you know, uh, package, something that he can pass really quick. But he's not doing that. Mm. And then finally, well, just about, yeah. you know. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, no. Just finally, your last thought, Jan. Go ahead. 
Yeah, uh, Kamala Harris. Uh, I understand that maybe it's not the easiest thing in the world to, to be the vice president, but Kamala Harris, I mean, they asked her in one interview not too long ago, who's the president, Joe Biden or Joe Manchin? And her blood pressure went up. She got all heated, and she just did not have a good answer. She, you know, you ask her, like, um, for example, um, on Roe v. Wade, after a very simple question a couple of days ago, why didn't they codify Roe v. Wade when a Democrats were in power? And she just basically gave a total non-answer, like uh, it was something like, oh, we just we as Democrats, you know, we just have to be true to our values and make sure that going forward that we're doing everything we can. All right. Well, Jan, I yeah, I'm hearing I'm hearing your frustration for sure. And I got to ask you, Tam, you know, one of the places that Biden did well in that poll was against Trump. And I am really curious what you think the effect is of Trump trying to announce early that he's running. There was that Washington Post piece that said he's eyeing an announcement in September of this year, and some are seeing that as potentially a gift for Biden. Yeah, I mean, uh, there are certainly uh, a not insignificant number of Democrats, um, you know, professional Democrats, who would be happy to have uh, Trump officially running for 2024 before the midterms. Uh, because um, there is nothing more motivating for Democratic voters than Donald J. Trump. Um, and, uh, you know, having him back as a foil is would be quite useful uh, for Democrats. I, I, you know, he he does this thing, the former president, where he teases that he's going to do something. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, but like, oh, I don't know, before or after the midterms. Um I suspect he's getting a lot of advice that it would be a mistake to declare before the midterms, because if the midterms don't go well for Republicans, he will get some of the blame. How about the fact that he isn't polling so great with against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis? Let's just talk a little bit about what's happening on the GOP side right now, Tim. Yeah, so... Uh, the the GOP side, not unlike the Democratic side, um, you know, the, the former president is m- making a lot of noise about running, and that has a, a, a tendency to block the sun and to make it hard for other people who would like to be candidates um, to actually, you know, get a look from voters. And so um, someone like Ron DeSantis is, um, he is truly... Uh, of all of the Republicans, the the one person who has been able to get a lot of attention, you know, talk about earned media. He, um, by doing things that are exceedingly upsetting to Democrats and and sometimes very much out of line with norms, he is um, he's getting a lot of attention, a lot of national attention. The White House is is talking about him, and that only helps him. And so he's really made a name for himself now. Um, this Siena poll, uh, you know, still puts Trump with like 50 percent and DeSantis at 25. Uh, but uh, among Republicans, I mean, uh, Mike Pence, groups, yeah. Mike Pence would love to be Ron DeSantis right about now. Well, mm-hmm. and there's a couple interesting things there. I mean, one is just this question of, yeah, like I think for both parties, you have this figure. One's in the White House. One has this almost unshakable base and it, and it just makes it so difficult. But it, Also, just to the weirdness of the moment we're in, y'all, like Joe Biden's approval rating in this poll, and it is one poll, but is lower than Trump ever hit. 
Like, just let that sink in for a minute. The the, the former president went through two impeachment trials. Uh, we've seen evidence over the past weeks that he helped a mob storm the Capitol and try to overturn the election and tried to overturn it through many other mechanisms. And Joe Biden is below that. Like, so... <laughs> Well, because I, because during his presidency that number yes, yeah but mm-hmm. on on our on this air right now we just heard from multiple democrats who probably would not tell a pollster that they approve of of Joe Biden's performance and that is not something that and there just weren't that many republicans trump trump was at like 90 91% support among republicans and when you are that locked in with your party and you haven't lost anyone in your party, then your uh, really dismal approval rating will will not be as low <laughs> as as Joe Biden's because Joe Biden has lost some Democrats. Now, if it was a yeah. head to head race, as Biden said earlier, they'd vote for him. Democrats are not going to vote for Donald Trump. That said, I do want to ask you, Marisa, is the Democratic Party's unity, its coalition, strong. We heard Jan mention Joe Manchin. And of course, we can't ignore the news that that broke yesterday that he told Democratic leaders that he would not support an economic package that has new spending on climate change or new tax increases on the wealthy things that are very popular among Democratic voters. How, How would you assess the strength of the party right now? Well, Tam kind of hit this at the top with her Marlison quote, but I I do think this is not unusual, at least for recent years, where we have a lot of sort of internal turmoil um, and a lot of questions between the different wings of the Democratic Party. Um, You know, I think that is a tale we've seen play out not just in the last two cycles, right? I mean, this really... um, is something that the Democrats have been struggling with. And I do think that the good news for Democrats, if there is any about this fall, is that you do, first of all, despite the fact that, yes, statistically, like, they're headed for loss if you just look at the history of the party in power in midterms. Um, however, you there are some silver linings, as we talked about with the congressional numbers. And I do think that... Um, at the end of the day, a lot of these things that are motivating the base, like abortion, like mm-hmm. concern over the democratic system, um, you know, do stand to potentially excite the folks that did come out and vote in the last election, which is really what Democrats need to do in a midterm. It's not as much about getting new voters. It's more about keeping your base. Um, so, sh- so shield the party from any kind of disaster. disaster. Basically, yeah. And then I think that, you know, the the question is going to be around the margins on a lot of the groups we've talked about and some of the stuff we haven't talked about, like the fact that we just see um, numbers really declining and, you know, in some demographics, like among non-college educated voters. Um, uh, I think there's some real warning signs around Latinos, especially not necessarily in a state like California, but in some of the more conservative states. Um, and yet, you know, that all said, it's not as if the person who called and was a Bernie person is going to suddenly turn around and vote for a Trump candidate. Right. So it's, it's an interesting mix. I think the bigger problem is like fatigue for Democrats and whether they can motivate those young voters, those people that might have co- bothered to come out because they didn't want to see Trump keep the White House. Will they be motivated to come out in a midterm election and vote for a Congress person who they, maybe they're you know, either disappointed with or just not that excited about? Well, our listeners are all over the place. Bill writes, mm-hmm. Biden will be 81 at the end of this term. That term... That means he'll be 85 by the end of the next. Does anyone think he'll still be up 
to the job at that age. Ben writes, is there one world leader that is popular in their country right now? The world is still going through a pandemic, plus a major war, and people are exhausted. Biden has been doing a great job with the limitations of the Senate and House. Allison writes, Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut is my candidate of choice. In 2020, he was also Howard Dean's choice. Even outside of his excellent leadership on gun control, he speaks out on many issues, is smart and amiable. Michael writes, there is one person with serious executive experience, serious legislative experience, a significant cultural background and life experience, a stellar academic and personal record, a compelling life story, and cross-party appeal. Cory Booker can be the future of the Democratic Party and would make a highly effective president. Wendy writes, I believe Biden should run if he wants to. That shouldn't eliminate others from running a positive campaign with their vision for how they could move us forward. Among those I'd like to see in the running, Katie Porter, Adam Schiff, mm-hmm. John Fetterman, mm-hmm. Steve Kerr. So we've got a lot. <laughs> Steve Kerr. Oh, I haven't heard that one before. Uh, I was just noticing Katie Porter is killing it with her fundraising numbers. So maybe that's wow. not the craziest thing. Although it's funny, right? I mean, there was this, um, I think, sense a couple of years ago that, you know, having a white straight man as a candidate was like not necessarily what the base wanted and then we ended up with Biden and now a lot of those names are exactly that so I don't don't know I don't know how voters will feel by 24. We're talking about Biden's presidential well his term and his candidacy right now with Marisa Lagos and Tamara Keith and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to Charlie. Hi Charlie you've been waiting thanks. Uh, good morning. I'm uh, definitely an optimistic Democrat. I, I think the president has powers that he can yet use to, you know, deal with things such as the recent support Supreme Court's decisions uh, regarding coal-fired uh, power plants, for example. And we have another, so many strong potential Democratic successors just in case Biden does want to uh, – just be a one-term president. I just saw the Gabby Giffords movie and Senator Mark Kelly, uh, the astronaut, comes to mind. Um, and by the way, who is the Kennedy does that uh, Gavin uh, Newsom is emulating? Do you know? Uh, hmm. And hello to Marissa, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Charlie. You. Marissa, well, let me also give you Charlie's question. Is Who is Gavin uh, trying to emulate here? Bobby Kennedy is his political hero. He talks about that quite openly. Hmm. Well, Daniel tweets, why are we talking about 2024? <laughs> we as a party need to be focused on the midterms. Let's focus on keeping our majority in Congress and talk about 2024 in the spring. Tamara, what do you think? I mean, like, I'm not a Democratic strategist, but uh, he's probably not wrong. Um, That said, uh, you know, on the Republican side, they are talking about 2024. Uh, And um, traditionally, I think part of the reason we talk about it is traditionally the president's approval does weigh heavily on the midterms. Um, And we'll see if that link is broken this time or not. Yeah. You know, we're also talking like 2024 would be a normal election. And of course, with everything that we're learning right now in terms of efforts to counter the big lie that the election was stolen from Trump, I guess how much of that weighs into our thinking about that election? Uh, And maybe I'll start again with you, Tam, and then have, have Marisa tell me where she thinks with everything that's going on with that. Yeah, you know, um, the the fears of the very real fears of democratic erosion uh, are, I think, are weighing more heavily on 
people on the left, people who are closely following, for instance, the January 6th hearings, um, you know, there will be one more prime time, at least that we know of, one more prime time hearing this coming Thursday. Uh, But generally, these hearings have happened during the day. So people are just picking up snippets. Uh, They're not they're not consuming it in whole. And and one thing that um, I'm very curious about that, uh, you know, there will be more polling on this and more focus groups soon is just how much that has broken through, how much that is a dominant issue. I mean, it's certainly I think that in terms of our coverage and the way we talk about these elections and the way we talk about elections forever and in memoriam, I think it's going to be different um, because it isn't just a horse race. Uh, you know, the the there is an open question of whether the former president's big lie and unwillingness to concede in a free and fair election will metastasize. Yeah. And whether um, other candidates will refuse to accept the results of an election. Yeah. M- Marisa? Well, I do think that, you know, from a political perspective, uh, you know, the that person is right. But to Tam's point, we're talking about it in part because there is a very impactful midterm election coming up. And I think that one thing Democrats have struggled with since Trump came on the scene is finding something to rally their base to fight for rather than just against. Um and I think that there's a lot out there right now with the landscape around things like abortion access and guns, but also this question of democracy, right? I think um, we don't know what's ahead. And this is why, again, I always like to say 800 times that a poll is a snapshot in time. I mean, we didn't know that we would be having this exact conversation just a few months ago, um, that something as horrific as Uvalde would happen, for example, um, that you know, the Supreme Court would go quite as far as they did in that decision. And so I do think that the politics just changed so quickly right now. I mean, we could be in a situation by next year where the Department of Justice is charging folks within the Trump organization up to and including him, right? Or not. Like, so there's so many variables. And I do just think that um, for the moment, the question is going to be in a lot of these races come the fall, how much do Democrats look at these types of polls and say, you know what, I'm going to run not as a Joe Biden candidate. I mean, we saw this with Tim Ryan already in Ohio, right? He did not appear with the president when he came there. Um, and also Nan Whaley, who is running for governor. And like I've seen her like elbow people to get into pictures with Joe Biden in past years. Yeah. And now it's like, well, well and this show is up. a playbook of leadership. You see this. Pelosi says it. Biden has his own line about it. It's like run against me or run with me, whatever makes you win. Right. I think they're <laughs> very aware of that. And I think that we're going to see that in the coming months that there is this maybe distancing um, and then maybe after the midterms, mm. potentially they bring them back into the fold. Well, maybe the most effective messaging them for the Dems is, especially for their own bases, things may not be perfect, but look at the other party. Elections <laughs> have consequences. <laughs> listener, uh, this listener writes, Democrats don't seem to remember how much of his time Biden is having to spend to try and undo all the bad things that Trump put in place. Well, thank you so much, Tamara Keith, Washington, I'm sorry, White House correspondent <laughs> for NPR, <laughs> and Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent at KQED. Thank you, listeners, and thank you to our forum team. Let me remind you, as always, that Forum is produced by Caroline Smith and Grace Swan. Susan Britton is our lead producer. Marlena Jackson Redondo is our engagement producer. Our senior producer is Susan Davis. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, and Chris Hoff this week. Our interns are Lulu Ralda and Paul C. Kelly Campos. I am Mina Kim. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend.
Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.